Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, June 30th edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, Bidenomics is coming to a town near you. New laws and government reorganization take effect over the weekend, and one board to rule them all is convened. Uh, hello, everybody. I'm Caleb McCullough, Des Moines Deer Chief for Lee Enterprises. I'm filling in for Aaron Murphy today, who has been busy this week lighting fires throughout the Canadian wilderness, so you can send all your weather complaints to him. Uh, with me this week are Gazette Des Moines, uh, Deputy Des Moines Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Caleb. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Caleb. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. Um, Aaron's been spending a lot of time in the wilderness lately. Uh, I believe Tom had him hiking the uh, Appalachian Trail. Now he's off uh, setting wildfires. Maybe next he'll be, uh, you know, hunkered down in a, in a nice cabin writing uh, some manifestos to, to send out to folks. That's right. You never know what he's up to. And we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. Well, this week we saw a deluge of federal money coming to Iowa. Um, to rattle off just a few examples, we saw $415 million dedicated for broadband infrastructure, uh, $35 million for bridge and road improvements, and $43 million for electric buses, most of those going to Iowa City. Uh, and most of this money came from the bipartisan federal infrastructure law that was passed in 2021. That announcement coincided with uh, a nationwide tour President Joe Biden and his administration are embarking on, hoping to show Americans the investments that Biden and Democrats have made in the economy and extolling the virtues of, quote, Bidenomics. So, Todd, what exactly is Bidenomics? And with the 2024 election just a short 17 months away, uh, how does this new focus on these economic investments factor into Biden's reelection message? Well, I think he's, you know, he's taken a beating from, <clears throat> excuse me, Republicans who, you know, say that he's run the economy into the ground and highlighting the inflation and other and other uh, aspects that they uh, disagree with, you know. He's so he has to push back on that, and I think this is basically what he's doing. He's he's embracing the Bidenomics label. So it reminds me of when President Obama uh, eventually embraced Obamacare, as it, you know, it was sort of used to criticize the program, but then they went ahead because it was so commonly used and 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 started to use it themselves. Uh, you know, he the, you mentioned the Infrastructure Act. Uh, which is, you know, roads and bridges and and also broadband and technology, power grid, uh, all of those sort of investments. Uh, th there was the uh, the second large bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, which among a lot of things that it did, it, it capped, you know, insulin costs for Medicare uh, recipients. Uh, it, you know, it, it increased spending on uh, climate change projects. Uh, green infrastructure, all of those things, and you know, he's there's been 13 million jobs created during his presidency. the The Dow has been pretty, you know, stock exchange has been pretty high, uh, you know, and 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 he's in, you know, there's worker training programs. There's just all sorts of stuff that comes under this Bidenomics label, and and you know, looking at re-election, he's got to he's got to start pressing the idea that he actually has done positive things for the economy and inflation has slowed it's still higher than it should be but it's 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 the growth has slowed so so bidenomics that's that's all that all of that's going to go under that umbrella as he runs for re-election and and tries to convince americans that you know maybe they don't like everything he's done but from an economic standpoint he's going to be better for them than the alternative 
uh, which could be, you know, Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. Something I've noticed, I mean, all those things that you mentioned, Todd, um, just the uh, high high job numbers, low unemployment, um, inflation going down, still not where you want it to be. But um, yeah, I think it just electorally um, makes sense for, for Biden to kind of take control of that narrative, um, uh, you know, and, and, and could argue, you know, maybe inflation was was really bad a year ago, a year and a half ago, but, um, you know, look at how the economy is now. And so, yeah, I think that, yeah. that definitely makes sense. Well, and he, you know, it's, you know, his, despite all that, his his poll numbers, his approval numbers are pretty atrocious. He's in like in the 30s. So, you know, but if he's facing Donald Trump again, you also see polls that show him, you know, winning swing states pretty handily over Trump. Uh, so I think, you know, he's going to try to be positive and try to sell the attributes of, of what he's done and, and, you know, and talk about what he wants to do next. And so... I guess he's going to go ahead and use Bidenomics, even though it's kind of become a, a hit phrase for for uh, Republicans. Well, and, and, and the other thing he can do, and, and we've seen this from the White House, is he can point to targeted advancements for um, key priorities that, um, you know, Republican officials in Iowa have been trying to accomplish for years, notably um, you know, broadband expansion in Iowa and, 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 and say, you know, look, I've, I've been able to deliver, you know, 400, was it $415 million for, for, right, for yeah. the state of, for, for the state of Iowa. I think the, the single largest investment in broadband infrastructure, uh, in the state, uh, to date, um, it's been a key priority for, uh, Governor Reynolds, um, for years, um, you know, every year she's been pushing lawmakers to allocate, more and more funding uh, for broadband build out um, across Iowa. Um, and so it's 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 also, you know, an opportunity for uh, Joe Biden and for for the White House to um, kind of go after Republicans and, and, and kind of attack them or criticize them for the opposition to um, the infrastructure law um that you know again has delivered critical investment in key priorities that they've tried to push forward. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting that the White House got out ahead of this announcement this time. I mean, in the past, we've seen the governor announce that this money is coming. And, you know, the last paragraph of the of the press releases is for the, you know, Investment Act or something like like it's federal money. So this time, this time, Biden announced it and didn't let the governor take any credit, which I thought, you know, it's that's probably smart strategy. Right. I've noticed the White House uh, like social media accounts whenever a Republican official will be like, look at this great project that was funded, funded by federal investment dollars. And um, the White House will quote tweet it or, or respond and say, like, see you at the groundbreaking or, or something like that. Right. Yeah, definitely a lot of uh, uh, shots across the bow there. Um, but speaking of federal investment, uh, Iowa will apply for $28 million in pandemic EBT dollars to feed hungry children over the summer, but state officials had originally planned to um, reject the funds or at least not apply for them. So Tom, walk us through this story and why did the state end up reversing course on this? Yeah, so, um, excuse me, <laughs> apologies. Um, so as you mentioned, um, the state initially um, had said that um, they weren't going to participate in the summer um, 
pandemic electronic benefit transfer program through the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, so the program provides families with children extra benefits for groceries when their kids aren't receiving meals from school. Um, it was a program that was created under uh, former President Donald Trump. It was created as part of the federal response to the COVID-19 pandemic when schools and child care centers were closed or operating with reduced hours or attendance. Um, so families, you know, with children receiving free or reduced price meals could apply for um, a debit type um, card or, or an EBT electronic benefit transfer card um, to purchase food to make up for missing school meals. Um, that program has since been um, uh, extended um, past, you know, the um, the height of the pandemic and, and the end of the public emergency um, declaration um, to include uh, providing, like I said, these extra benefits for um, children um, during school break. Um, in Iowa, I'm sorry, Iowa did um, participate in that program last summer. Um, however, they encountered some um, administrative hurdles um, in submitting their plan and getting approval from the USDA. Um, I believe their initial plan was um, denied. Um, they submitted a revised plan um, and that was subsequently uh, um, approved, but, um, you know, there was such a delay there in getting approval that um, they didn't get improved until um, just weeks before the, um, the, the, the school year was, was supposed to start. So there was, there was a, a delay in getting benefits um, to, to families um, for, uh, for last summer. Um, and so a spokesperson for the Department of, of Health and, and Human Services um, said, you know, we understand that many Iowa families continue to face food insecurity challenges. And after having conversations with federal partners, expressing their concerns about the administrative burdens and kind of the issues that they went through in applying for the program last summer, um, they did kind of change course um, and, and, and will apply for the summer 2023 program um, after they've been assured that um, that, that these federal partners will provide guidance and support throughout the process. Um, they mentioned that they're going to continue to work for what, what they term to be a more sustainable food security program for Iowa families. Um, one that uh, they want to be focused on supporting children and families rather than, again, the burdensome administrative process required to, to implement it. But, you know, it's, it's worth noting that the announcement from HHS saying that, you know, they've kind of reversed course and, and you know, that they will go forward in applying for this federal fruit assistance um, comes after weeks of um, lobbying by um, the, the Iowa Hunger Coalition, um, which is uh, a, a grouping of um, uh, anti-hunger advocates in the state, you know, it includes food pantries and food banks. Um, so a total of 41 organizations and more than 100 Iowa faith leaders had signed on to letters to Governor Reynolds and um, the Iowa um, or Iowa Health and Human Services uh, Director Kelly Garcia um, that they were planning to be publicly released um, on on Wednesday, um, you know, just after um, HHS made the announcement that you know, hey, 
we've reconsidered and we will go ahead and participate in this program. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a question there as to, you know, whether kind of the, uh, I, I don't know if backlash is too strong of a term, but um, the, the response, you know, from these faith leaders and from all these organizations across the street imploring, um, you know, the governor and um, uh, Health and Human Services to, to reconsider, uh, you know, if that's what really kind of moved them and, and, and led to them reconsidering and then going ahead and, and um, uh, applying for uh, this funding. Yeah, and this story came out because, uh, I mean, at least partially because uh, hunger advocates, uh, you know, shared emails with with the HHS, right? So um, they yep, were kind of yep. trying to, yeah, yeah, that's yep, interesting. Yep. They, yep, they, they shared, yep, they, they sh uh, shared an, an email that um, had been sent out um, earlier in the month um, by an HHS official um, to to one of the members of the I. Hunger Coalition essentially saying, yeah, we're not going to participate in this. And then, you know, that led to um, kind of this campaign, um, uh, kind of this pressure campaign, for lack of a better word, um, to, to get them to, to, to reconsider. And then you had a couple of Iowa Senate Democrats issue a press release and a letter to the governor urging uh, her and state officials to, to reconsider. And of course, media outlets picked up on that. And um, and, and so I, I think that, you know, that that was a factor as well and probably a reason why um, they reconsidered. Right. And it was just the it was just the uh, the start of this month, right? That uh, Reynolds signed the uh, the bill that had the the heightened requirements for for public assistance. That's that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's that's correct. And we will actually talk about that a little bit later in another segment. You're getting you're getting uh, a little bit ahead of us here. Well, foreshadowing. Um, but before that, and in the most government speak sentence possible, um, the state has convened a new committee to study the state's other 256 boards and commissions to determine which ones are unnecessary and how to best streamline the various duties of Iowa's boards. Now, uh, these boards range from fairly inconsequential ones like the Organic Advisory Council. And if you're an organic farmer listening to this, uh, I apologize, I'm sure it is very important, um, but not maybe not to everybody. Uh, and, uh, but but they, there are other boards that with budgets of hundreds of millions of dollars that oversee large sectors of state government like the Board of Regents. So big swath of responsibilities these boards have. Uh, Jared, a couple members of this new committee are from your area. So tell us uh, what they said about what they want to accomplish and how the process will work. So, yeah, the uh, the newfangled uh, Iowa Boards and Commissions Review Committee, uh, which is a very catchy name, uh, has 10 members on it. Um, four of them are all state legislators and are non-voting members. Um, a total of nine of them, including those legislators, work in uh, state government in one capacity or another. Uh, in fact, one of them, uh, Jacob Nicholson, is the chief uh, operating officer for Kim Reynolds. And then the uh, the lone uh, member of this committee, who is a public member, is uh, Barbara Sloniker. Um, and she isn't exactly just Jane Q. Public picked at random off of the street. Uh, she's the executive VP of the uh, Siouxland Chamber of Commerce here in Sioux City, and she previously served on Reynolds's um, Economic Recovery Advisory Board in 2020 during the pandemic. Um, and when I when I talked to her earlier this week, Sloniker said that her time on that board was the start of her really asking these kinds of questions about what boards and commissions might need to be altered or, you know, cut altogether. 
And one thing I was particularly curious about uh, is if there's a target goal, you know, for how many boards and commissions should be modified or maybe combined or axed. And um, she didn't say there was a target number for the committee, but, you know, when I asked her what would success look like for you, she did say that that would be a reduction in the number of boards and commissions to the right size. So that that's what they're envisioning success to be in this case. And, and she used that specific phrase, right size, um, more than once. Um, at another point when I was talking to her, she was speaking to these kinds of questions that the committee is asking of itself. And one of the questions she posed was, you know, what is the right size for these state boards and commissions? Um, so that's at least a, a guiding principle for, you know, the lone public member on the committee. And then I did also talk to um, Jason Schultz, the state senator uh, from Schleswig, who ran the uh, the government reorganization bill uh, in the Senate. And he said um, that he specifically would like to find out how many boards and commissions have, um, quote unquote, outlived their usefulness. Um, and then he also said that um, maybe we find some aren't even really actively meeting or doing anything. Some of them were set up decades ago. And um, certainly things have uh, have changed. So that's the uh, the attitudes anyway of at least two of the the folks on that board. Yeah, and I I was at the uh, first meeting of that board and and spoke to um, Craig Paulson, the the department management director, a little bit. And uh, he also didn't give a, a target number, but um, said that you know there's 256. If it ended up uh, being 255 boards that they come out with, uh, that would be a disappointment. So. Uh, somewhere between zero and 255 is what they're shooting for. Um, but yeah, so speaking of reorganizing government, um, a massive government reorganization law that that um, committee actually came out of is one of dozens that will take effect on Saturday, which depending on when you're listening to this might have already happened. Um, unless otherwise noted, any Iowa law that was passed this year um, during the legislative session will take effect July 1st, uh, the start of the new fiscal year. So Tom, you have a story coming tomorrow on some of the no notable new laws taking effect. Uh, what are some of these highlights? Yeah, so um, so Iowa Governor uh, Reynolds signed nearly 170 bills into law this year that were uh, were passed by the Iowa legislature. As you mentioned, um, many of those measures um, take effect uh, July 1st, which is the start of the new fiscal year. So starting Saturday, uh, for example, Iowa teens ages 14 to 17 can work more jobs at longer hours. Um, as Jared had mentioned, uh, low-income families will face new requirements for receiving public health benefits, such as food assistance. Um, and more Iowa parents will qualify for childcare assistance, but they'll have to work more hours to remain eligible. Um, and then um, I guess the more, more notably, and, and, and this is probably a bill that has kind of garnered um, the most uh, controversy or attention um, is, you know, Iowa students will notice several changes when they return or may notice several changes when they return to the classroom this fall. Um, lawmakers this year passed a slate of education bills into law including a bill uh, limiting um, LGBTQ instruction topics through sixth grade and barring books with sexual content from school libraries. Um, 
So, you know, that was a top priority for both Governor Reynolds and Republican lawmakers this session. You know, they said that the measure would expand parents' rights and give parents more input into their children's education, uh, while educators across the state warns that the law will remove well-known novels um, that includes descriptions of sex acts, including controversial titles that have made news in recent years, such as uh, Gender Queer and All Boys Aren't Blue. The new law also requires schools to notify parents if a student requests changing uh, their name or pronouns. Um, LGBTQ advocates have said that that could lead to schools forcibly outing students, even if they might be um, put in danger at home. Um, Supporters contend that it codifies uh, parents' rights. And then another bill um, that garnered a lot uh, of attention, including um, uh, national media attention, uh, is one that um, relaxes uh, child labor restrictions in Iowa. So um, Iowa teens as young as uh, 16 now uh, can serve alcohol with uh, parental permission. Um, 14 and um, 15 year olds can work uh, more hours later into the night during the school year in the summer. Um, and 16 and 17 year olds um, can work in jobs that were um, previously, I guess, uh, prohibited or off limits, um, such as manufacturing and construction, um, so long as they're part of a state approved uh, educational or apprenticeship program that has proper supervision and safety precautions, uh, a parent must also grant permission for the work. You know, supporters have said the bill provides more opportunities for young Iowans uh, who want to work and uh, could help address uh, the state's shortage of workers. Democrats, labor unions, and and others um, have criticized the bill for um, conflicting with federal youth uh, labor regulations and said that the new law puts businesses in a difficult spot of creating two sets of rules, one for the state and one for the federal government. Um, And... uh, what else? Um, we've got the state government reorganization that you mentioned. Um, you also have uh, the bill um, that uh, limits the state's taxpayer watchdog. Um, so the Iowa State Auditor will face um, new restrictions on his office's ability to access certain records when auditing government programs for waste, fraud, and abuse. Um, you know, the law also blocks the state auditor's office from taking state agencies to court to force them to turn over documents. Um, so instead, debuts, dis- disputes, excuse me, will be directed to a three-member arbitration panel um, that's comprised of one person appointed by the auditor, um, one by the agency that's being audited, and one by the governor. And the panel's ruling um, will be final. Um, that law drew strong condemnation from nonpartisan and bipartisan auditors and CPA, CPA organizations. Um, critics as well note that Sand is the lone Democrat elected to statewide office um, and feel that um, you know this is meant specifically to, to target him. And, and Iowa Democrats have called it a power grab that dilutes the, the statutory and constitutional powers um, of the auditor's office. Um, to again ensure that taxpayer dollars are not being misspent um, and that it could potentially put billions of federal funds at risk. Um, Republicans have denied um, those claims and argue that um, that this will protect Iowans' personal information um, and puts into state law um, general accounting standards. Yeah, 
Um, and finally, we have the Quad City Times uh, continuing to develop new stories about the deadly Davenport building collapse last month. Uh, this week, the city released contracts with firms hired to investigate the collapse, and we learned the owner was in talks to sell the building a month before it collapsed. So, Sarah, what did we learn this week? And, and we even had some news this morning. And uh, now that we're about a month out from the collapse, uh, what questions are still unanswered? Yeah, so hot off the presses um, this morning, Governor Reynolds posted on Twitter that um, uh, FEMA had denied one of two uh, emergency requests that she'd made for federal aid. Um, there's still one pending. She asked for a major disaster declaration. Um, her, she, her goal is really to, or she's stated in her letters, is to um, requesting help for demolition for and for federal assistance, um, direct assistance to Scott County and in the city of Davenport. Um, so the city of Davenport is, uh, they amended their budget since this happened really close to the end of the fiscal year, June 30th, they had to amend their budget because of un 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 unanticipated costs, excuse me, um, about $3 million. So, um, more than one million of that was uh, for a contract with demolition company DW Zinzer, which was tasked with um, helping with the recovery effort, making sure that the building didn't have hanging pieces like so they could take those down and then also completely demolishing the building um, and taking the debris away to the Scott area landfill. Um, so some some questions that we still have, um, there's still pending legal action um, against Wolds and the city uh, by state masonry, which was doing work on the building before it collapsed. Um, so some some still outstanding questions about, you know, who's going to be legally held accountable for this. Um, the, the other thing that has come up in, in the last week or two is that there's been several more um, at least, or well, there's been a few more buildings that have been evacuated or ordered to vacate. Um, a couple of those have been Wold-owned buildings, and so um, so it seems like the city is taking a harder look, especially at Wold buildings, and and one in particular on uh, Jersey Ridge Road here in Davenport. Um, they cited that he that no one had shown up for uh, reinspections on violations, so. Um, that's another thing we uh, we can see in lawsuits that um, Mr. Wold has not been they've not been able to serve Mr. Wold with lawsuits. So um, he's he has not been he has not been around. So those are those are kind of that's the update as of this morning and this week. Um, and uh, um, yeah, did I miss anything in your question? No, but I have a follow-up to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, All right. Somewhat okay. related, it seems, uh, that the city of Davenport has decided not to stream the public comment period of, of their um, city council meetings. Uh, so what led to that? And was there any specific uh, moment in public comment where they decided uh, we're going to put the kibosh on that? Yeah, I'm not really sure exactly because I'm at the council meeting, so I'm not watching the live stream online, but um, some people who are there have family and friends who are watching online from home, and they say that at a certain point during public comment, it'll go dark and you'll see an error message. So um, I'm not sure exactly when that happens because in the last few weeks, they've still posted the, the video in full online like a day or two later. So, um, but now, so I reached out to ask about that, you know, why, why is this happening? 
Um, and the response I got was a little surprising. They said that they, um, because of uh, what they said were defamatory statements, they will no longer be streaming public comment. They'll stream and record uh, all the rest of the meeting, but not public comment. Um, and so I asked, you know, if there was any specific statements that led them to to want to take this action, um, but uh, but didn't get a response. But there have been folks who have been coming to public comments who have um, accused specific staff members or council members of, um, you know, not being at the like not being involved in the efforts of um, even of uh, corruption. Of um, somebody had said that they they accused the city of covering up more deaths um, in the building than, than had been reported. So um, there's definitely been a lot of anger and emotion from residents. Um, and it doesn't help that during the public comment period, uh, the council members can't respond or, or talk to them about their concerns. Um, so so it, it's, it's some folks that are, you know, talking for, for several minutes about um, their concerns and and frustrations after this building collapse. Um, and then, you know, they're just kind of met with silence, which I think really doesn't, um, doesn't make anyone feel good to like, just kind of say your concerns and then not hear anything back. But I have seen council members talk to people after the meetings, but so, so I can't pinpoint an exact comment that city officials were like, okay, this was defamatory, but um, there have been several like point of orders raised during council members council meetings when people do bring up like specific people's names or or accusations that um, they don't present, you know, any evidence for. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll keep tabs on that. But uh, and, and in some also breaking news uh, on live on this podcast, it appears that the uh, Supreme Court has overturned President Biden's um, student loan uh, forgiveness plan. So I'm sure you can expect uh, some some chatter about that next week, but um, and some stories from from the folks here on the podcast. Uh, but uh, that's for another time. So that is it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. Uh, if you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed uh, to in your inbox. You'll receive all the latest podcasts for politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council of Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. New trick will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band and musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Stephen Colbert, I'm Caleb McCullough. Thanks for listening. She doesn't own a dress. Her hair is always a mess If she catches stealing, she won't confess She thinks I'm beautiful She smokes a pack a day No way, that's me, but anyway She don't care a thing about that, hey She thinks I'm beautiful Me, Virginia She never compromises she loves babies and surprises Wear high heels when she exercises Ain't that beautiful Me, Virginia I can't wait to Me, Virginia
Daddy wrestles alligators. Mama works on carburetors. Brother is a fine media for the president. Well, here she is again on the phone, just like we to be alone. We just like to sit at home and rip on the president. Meet Virginia. I can't wait to meet Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she wants to be the queen when she thinks about her scene. Pulls her hair back as she screams. I don't really want to live this life. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.